It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's going down, and you're invited for what they selling. We ain't buying. There is no running. There is no hiding. There's only fighting or dying. It's Going Down is a digital community center from anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements. Our mission is to provide an autonomous and resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. Go to itsgoingdown.org for daily updates, check out our online store for ways to donate, and rate and follow us on iTunes if you like this podcast. So, I'm Amanda. Um... I spent about a year undercover in the far right, and so now I spend my time uh, writing about that experience and writing about the people that were in the extended universe of the characters that I met um, when I was undercover. So you talk a little bit about this in your article in The Nation, but what made you decide to go undercover? Uh, desperation. <laughs> uh, I worked in live events. I always wanted to be a writer, but it doesn't pay very well. Uh, but it pays better than nothing. <laughs> so I kind of just um, started going to the Stop the Steal rallies, which, you know, in the past I'd been to like a Laura Loomer rally and filmed everything and and various other stuff and had written about it. So I kind of thought I would just do that. I would kind of be a fly on the wall experience. And I knew a lot of journalists couldn't go because of COVID. Um, but going to Stop the Steal rallies in D.C. ultimately meant that I was at January 6th which kind of made it feel like a bigger deal than um, maybe writing a blog post or two. Yeah, it was interesting. In one of your articles, uh, you said how, you know, like I feel like a lot of us, you kind of went through like a libertarian phase. I mean, that's kind of one of the ideas I feel like a lot of young people run into. You know, it's very prevalent out there. But instead of, you know, going towards the far right, you know, you went the other way, but you ended up kind of leaning on that experience. Uh you know, when you went into these circles. Yeah, yeah, I did. And it ended up that um, the people that I met, I mean, there's probably some self-selection bias there, but people that I met had been involved in the libertarian movement and had worked to push the libertarian movement further to the right. Um, and then they had switched over to the GOP and trying to push the GOP further to the right. So it was that my libertarian background was extremely useful because I knew kind of, you know, what what was already going on, I guess. What do you make of that? I mean, how does somebody like Chris Cantwell go from like, you know, hey, maybe Julia Assange shouldn't be in prison to like, hey, we're going to put people in concentration camps. Like, what is that? How do people make that leap? Well, Christopher Cantwell was always a jerk. Um, I mean, everyone I knew that knew him, especially anyone who wasn't white, you know, because I was doing stuff at cop walk. So I knew people that knew him. Um, and, you know, they were always like, ugh, ugh. That guy. So I would say his personality was not exactly a shining, shining star. Um, but I think, you know, I think the libertarian movement itself, it brings in, like, it's hard to say no to people, you know, when you have such a small movement and you're trying to, to advance your cause and people don't want, they don't want to kick out somebody who's an actual Nazi. Um, and I, I think, some of it is just that those kinds of people glom on to libertarian party and movement because there's space for them. And some is that people are radicalized within it. Um, 
you know, people just always want to be like a little edgier, I think. Um, and, and I remember we would have conversations where I would say like, this person's a Nazi, they can't be affiliated with us. And people would be like, we're not the left, we can't call people Nazis. And it's like, well, he's praising Hitler. <laughs> That's a Nazi, you know? Um, and just this, this push to never ever uh, hold people accountable. Is he still around, by the way? Or Well, he was in court. And then this guy um, who actually used to write for um, Kevin Wax at Liberty Conservative um, was like his liaison between jail and the world. So he was like running a little blog with Christopher Cantwell updates. Very bizarre, but it seems like maybe uh, he doesn't have a lot of friends left anymore mapping the movement for us. I, obviously a lot of people listening to this, um, you know, identify as anti-fascist or anti-racist and have somewhat of an understanding of the far right and just its various formations. But I guess in your estimation, like where does the GOP kind of end and the street level far right, fascist, alt right, however you want to quantify them kind of begin and how much overlap is that? I mean, I guess we'll kind of tease that out as we go along. Yeah, it's really hard to say. And it's also very much like, uh, I think, locally based, too, because my especially after having come out and talked about my experience, you know, a lot of Republicans or left leaning libertarians who are like, I I go to Republican stuff because it seems the best place, I don't know, <laughs> um, have, have told me, you know, like there'll be pushes locally to, um, kind of remove these people. But then in other areas, you have just complete MAGA QAnon takeovers of local government. And so I think it's really dependent on where you are. And I mean, obviously at the national level, it's <sighs> Kevin McCarthy seems to be, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, rolling over often for the MAGA contingent. So yeah, I think it's kind of, kind of hard to pin it down exactly. Or even like someone like Michael Flynn, like I remember there was that recording that came out where he was talking about how he thought QAnon was sort of this like psyops designed to like make it look stupid. <laughs> but then he's like, here, hold on, hold my, hold my beer. Let me take this photo of us doing like the QAnon pledge. So it's like, it seems like, even some of the people that admit that like, Hey, this is just like something the base really likes. We're going to kind of lean into it. They're still really leaning into it and like going to all the conferences and, and kind of like posting the stuff that the people will eat up. And even on the other side, the, the people that are really into that are still kind of like looking the other way when, you know, their leaders are kind of openly admitting like, Hey, this is dumb. Like it's not real. We admit that. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, Flynn, uh, that was the, that phone call, him and, uh, Lynn Wood, which Lynn Wood, uh, leaked because he was upset. Um, you know, it, that was crazy because Mike Flynn, he's at every QAnon event. I mean, it almost doesn't matter as long as there's, as long as it's bigger than a gymnasium, that guy's gonna be there. Uh, I don't know why he's getting paid at these events, but he's gotta, be, you know, cleaning up. He's got this giant tour bus. It's like vaccines kill on the side of it and stuff like that. And it just, I don't even think he takes it though. I think that he actually flies <laughs> and his crew, his handlers take the tour bus. And there's always like very serious security with him. 
uh, you know, one event I went to, there were like guys who were dressed like military, but they were private security who were like patting people down before they could get a photo with Flynn. Um, so yeah, he's like such a big deal. And that call happened and he's just, he's like, I don't care. I'm still speaking at every QAnon event and nothing matters. <laughs> so many people just become susceptible to that and just kind of go along with it. But they really, I mean, I've, I've sat like, you know, in a grocery store listening to QAnon people like baby boomers that are really excited about that. Talk about it, like how they're going on 4chan and like discovering the truth and they really believe it and they're excited by it. Yeah. I mean, I, so I went to these Clay Clark events. I went to, I think three of them and they are $250 for a general mission, 500 for VIP uh, for the tickets. And I would meet families that would be there, you know, and it's like, they're not rich, but it was, that was their family vacation. You know, we were going to go to Disney world, you know, 2020, you couldn't go anywhere. So save money. And then, oh, we're going to go on an extravagant trip in 2021. And that extravagant trip is like Clay Clark's QAnon Palooza. And the kids are just like, I, we're so close to Disney. Why are we not at Disney? <laughs> you know, just sitting on the floor, bored out of their minds. While Roger Stone's up on a stage with a trash bag begging for money because he found the Lord while he was in jail. <laughs> it just, it sucks. And, you know, my parents, but neither of my parents will ever get a COVID vaccine ever. I mean, my dad only got vaccinated because my sister was like, you can come to Thanksgiving and be vaccinated or you can not come. And you also could not come to my wedding. Um, and so he got one Johnson and Johnson shot and he'll never get another shot, you know? Um, and so I have a lot of contempt for the ringleaders, but I do not necessarily have that contempt for the people who were like, you know, grifted by all of this stuff, uh, obviously, because that would be my own family. <laughs> yeah. Similar experience too, is just, I think a lot of us that are, um, maybe, younger and wiser, I guess, or I don't know, you know, can see through it easily. Like if you're not getting bombarded with like social media stuff, that's just like telling you that and like, you're not susceptible to it. It can be really easy to write that off. But for those that are susceptible to that and like getting that on social media or like, that's what they're seeing from friends and family. And then that gets reinforced by politicians and like what they're watching on TV I mean, that can be really powerful and it can, you can just be sucked into that. And like, I've, you know, similar experience. I've had family and friends, you know, get sucked into that or, you know, I'll talk to coworkers and like, they'll see that. And like, if all they're getting from, you know, what they're getting from quote, the news is sort of like a couple posts on Instagram about, you know, quote, child trafficking on some like big account on TikTok or Instagram. I mean, they're, they're going to believe that. Like, that's just how it is. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, um, <laughs> one of these Clay Clark events after I was doxxed, they, I mean, I, I went to a bunch of super spreader events and I got COVID. I was vaccinated in like February 2021 and I got COVID in July 2021. Um, but then I went to like I don't know, five more super spreader events and I didn't get sick again. But like, one of them, they were like, oh, everybody has, uh, anthrax poisoning. Like someone died in the hospital. One of the guys who was like a speaker died in the hospital of COVID. And they're like, no, it's a anthrax poisoning. Uh, there was an, there was a terror attack on us because we were telling the truth. And it's, you know, it was, it was not anthrax. It was just COVID. Like it was, you know, November 2021 or something. 
Um, and just this disconnect and uh, from reality is uh, hard to grapple with. Let's kind of uh, go back a little bit, and I want to talk about like the stop the steal rallies in the lead up to J six. Can you just talk about those? Because I feel like um, in the popular imagination, there's been so much talking about January six. We kind of even forget about sort of like kind of like what led up to that. So the very first rally happened, um, obviously, right after the election after Trump lost in November 2020. And I went to that, and I went before I went to a spin class. The spin class that I went to, they moved to the wharf, so they were on a pier, so it was outside. And DC had very uh, strict COVID rules, uh, and in a way that's kind of silly, because if you go one metro stop down, you're in Virginia, and Virginia had no rules whatsoever. (laughs) It was just kind of a free-for-all. Um, so I, you know, I was at my spin class and I like, it's like, oh, I'm just going to like walk over after spin class and kind of see the rally. And of course it's been class. They're like, thanks for bringing all of these terrible people in the city to come to this class. You know, neighborhood Facebook groups were full of people complaining, especially people who worked at restaurants, restaurants, you, um, like in November, I think we had indoor dining, but you could only sit four people to a table. You had to like live in the same house. You couldn't move you couldn't stand up if you stood up you had to wear a mask there was no you know all these rules um and of course these MAGA people are very angry about these rules but DC had really high compliance um and so most people here were kind of happy to like go on you know and and follow whatever rules and the ones who weren't just went to Virginia but the the people that came in for the rally is obviously furious um just making everyone's lives miserable and so the first rally you know I I wore like a mask, a fabric mask for most of it. Um, and I didn't really feel like that threatened me in any way. Uh, but the the second rally was like way worse. At this point, everybody in DC already knows what's going on because we've already lived through these people showing up. Like Twitter, Facebook, like local DC Twitter, Facebook are just off the chain. People are like, you know, I, I'm closing my restaurant for the day. I'm not making my people work. These people are so rude and unbelievable. Um, you know, and I, I remember when I was leaving the rally, I think, I think it was actually in November. I was leaving the November rally and this girl was like, maybe it was December. I don't remember. Either way, her and her boyfriend were talking and, you know, all, everything was boarded up and it was boarded up because of them. <laughs> And she's like, we're not violent. Why would they, why would they board things up because of us? We're, we're so nice. <laughs> it's like, okay, well, it's obviously not true. Um, so, you know, like locally it, it was, it was huge news. Um, and it was like in a way, like I went to Portland for a Proud Boys thing and I went to uh, Santa Monica for a Proud Boys thing. And I felt like, it was not huge news in those places. I feel like it was just a little bit more old hat there, you know, like uh, the the service workers and everybody versus in D.C. where it was everybody was talking about it. Um, at the December rally, I quickly took off my mask because it didn't matter if you were like 90 years old, like in a wheelchair with an oxygen tank. You know, people were like, are you you're afraid of COVID? Grow up, you know, very very different, like angrier, more COVID denial out of the gate. Um, it was also a bigger event. There were three stages and press kind of stayed confined to the first two stages. And I went down to the third one, um, which was by the Supreme Court and had like Lauren Boebert, who was obviously not in office yet. She was elected, but she wasn't in office. Uh, Millie Weaver, 
who used to work for Alex Jones, uh, just like, it was like the real, real, you know, fringe, unhinged kind of stage down there. And um, people kept talking about all of their experiences that they had had, how, you know, I back the blue, I do, I love the police, but these liberal mayors are keeping them from, you know, protecting us, from doing, you know, from, from, democracy or whatever their current grievance is. Uh, it was more chaotic in December. Uh, I would hear stories like, I, uh, you know, I was here last month and I almost got beat up and I, you know, Oh no, what happened? You know, Oh, I was walking back to my hotel and some men ran past me. And it's like, that's the whole story. You know, they they were just so paranoid and so afraid that people just being near them was scary. And there was a local restaurant called Harry's that was, you know, just violating COVID rules left and right. And at one point, Trump had uh, retweeted them. And so after I went to the rally, I was like, I'm going to go to Harry's. I know they're going to be violating rules. And I was like a thorn in the side of everybody in the city because I owned a business and my business wasn't getting money. (laughs) So I was like, Harry's keeps getting money and they keep violating the rules. I'm going to go take a video and I'm going to personally harass my elected officials until and my local government until something's done about this because it's just not fair they keep getting money and you know they're just paying fines and when I got down to Harry's um the stabbing that you were talking about had just occurred I mean people were bragging about it you know there was an older couple um a, a woman and she was saying I, I don't know I don't really like violence and her husband was like well you know, if a proud boy stabbed somebody, he probably deserved it. And why would someone who isn't one of us be over here anyway? You know, he was protecting us. She was like, that's a really good point. And it was just shocking to see this, this group think of like, <laughs> uh, you know, it's okay. They're our heroes. And of course it turned out that, um, the person who did the stabbing did it, you know, because a bunch of proud boys attacked him and he was doing it in self-defense. So they didn't even have the right story, but that was what we were hearing on the ground. So it was just a mess. Alex Jones led us in this uh, chant of 1776. And then the Proud Boys all went off in groups of like, I don't know, like five or eight and marched around the city to protect us. Um, so, you know, I was told there are plenty of enemies afoot and that I should not go anywhere without a Proud Boy escort, even though I can't think of anybody more dangerous in downtown D.C. than a Proud Boy. <laughs> uh, it just very, very bizarre experience. It was definitely heightened um, intensity between November and December. Um, and after that December rally, you know, I just wouldn't shut up about it. I kept telling my friends, I was like, oh, man, this was bad. You know, I don't, I've never, I've never been around so many paranoid, uh, deranged people. And then of course that changed on January 6th because I was around even more people who were even more paranoid. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, if that was something that was kind of like openly discussed or, or known about just kind of like, those kind of sweetheart relationships between law enforcement and the proud boys, or if that wasn't kind of like talked about out in the open. No, but <laughs> so in December, I, um, you know, I got, I basically wondered the situation where I would have gotten myself kettled in that situation. I literally was on my phone paying no attention um, to what I was doing. I was like looking for something. I can't remember. I think I was trying to figure out a way to like an app that would give me a fake number that I could use because someone had asked for my number. And I 
I walked behind the police. So the police were dividing between, you know, the MAGA people and the counter protesters. And I, I ended up behind the police and I went, Oh my God. And like, they were like lining up their bikes. I mean, I would have, I've been in the situation before, right? I should have been arrested. I was just like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Can I get back over there to my people? <laughs> and they made fun of me and they were like, look where you're going. And then like, let me through, which was just an unreal experience. Um, like in 2014 and 15, MPD, I mean, when we would do BLM protests, you would know the meeting point. And if, if the march started before you got to the meeting point, you had to just like ask people who were outside, like, hey, did you see where everybody went? Like, do you know? Because nobody would put it on Twitter. MPD would shut down various roads preemptively. Like they would put all the snow plows up to keep us from even getting close to the mall because they don't want tourists to see us. I mean, it just, you know, and then, of course, I went to one BLM march in 2020, and it was the one where Trump had us tear gas so we could hold a Bible. And it was just, like, that comparison to them, like, laughing at me for, like, almost getting myself mixed in with Antifa was just mind-boggling. And the cops would, like, high-five us, shake our hands, and be like, thanks for being here. Like, to us, like, thanks for coming to protest. So just, you know, I, when I was doing those rallies, I was not as involved, I mean, obviously I didn't even have like a fake phone number yet. Um, I was not like as involved uh, as I ended up being. So, you know, I was not having that level of discussion with people, but it was clear to me. I mean, it was was clear to me that police were not angry about us being there. Kind of from your vantage point, you know, you were embedded within the crowd at that point with people like looking back on that day. Now, what are your thoughts? It took me, I think maybe five months to listen to my audio from that time. It was such a strange experience when, so I got there, I had been at the thing. So the day before January 5th, they had in freedom Plaza, it rained. So very sad, very people showed up, you know, but they had all these speeches coming on. And like, I remember very little of it because it was all like, I ended up, my office was around the corner. So I kept going back to my office because it was pouring rain for most of the day. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's around only office buildings. And of course it's January, 2021. So it's like, full of COVID. And I just remember one of the speakers pointing up at the office buildings and be like, all these people who live up here and hate us, they're looking down at it. And I'm like, there's nobody in these buildings. Like, first of all, they're not apartments. They hate you because you're rude. <laughs> um, and so, you know, that, that day, it was so poorly attended. And I was like, well, hopefully it's just going to be poorly attended. And like, this isn't the rain. I was wrong. It was the rain. I should have Saturday, the, this, or whatever day the six was, uh, Thursday, I should have been like nine, nine thirty in the morning. And already, you know, I couldn't get anywhere near. People were sitting in the street with like Bluetooth speakers trying to play Trump's speech so that we could hear it. I walked down to the monument and I'm facing the White House. And that's when he's like, go to the, the Capitol. People around me are like, where's the Capitol? And of course, from the Washington Monument, you can see the Capitol. You just have to look to your right. And I'm like, all right, I don't know what's going on. Maybe these people, maybe everybody is just too stupid. Maybe we're not going to do this today. Maybe I was wrong. Um, I was not wrong on this. So we we go down to the Capitol and, you know, I had no cell phone service. Uh, no, 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 none of us did. Um, and I ended up running into a journalist I know, Mother Jones, um, and one of his coworkers, so I didn't know. And, like, we were kind of walking around together. And I mean, the way that we found out the Capitol had been breached 
was a guy who came up behind us and was sing-songing Back Doors Open. Um, and we heard that, and we're like, there's no way. And we walked across the street so we could have service again, and you know, my phone is just ding, 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 ding. People are like, are you alive? <laughs> are you inside? What's going on? And that's how, you know, how we found out. And for us, we talked a lot about Miriam Carey, who was, of course, shot by Secret Service for having a mental health crisis and uh, trying to drive into the was it the White House complex. Um, and just the difference in how cops were treating. And I think all of us had been at that June 2020 uh, BLM march where we got tear gassed. Um just the difference in how and how the cops handled it. I mean, the only thing a cop said to me all day was, if you're going to walk to the Capitol, can you please walk on the grass and not on the sidewalk? Um, and that was it. <laughs> and and even, you know, when we were leaving, uh, everybody was so angry, so riled up, and there were all those shofars that just kept blowing and blowing. There was a, a woman, and she was in all black with bulletproof vest, you know, helmet, goggles, the whole nine yards, and she had press run down her like eight or nine times. And the people all around us are like, that's not press, that's Antifa. You know, she's in all black. What, what would press wear a bulletproof vest for? That she seemed to do trouble. And it's like, are we sitting in the same spot? <laughs> you know, like you can hear like the pepper bombs. Like you can tell we all know people are in the Capitol at this point And you're wondering why press would wear a bulletproof vest. Like I'm leaving because I don't have one. <laughs> uh, it was just, it was so crazy. I mean, depending on where you were, too, at the Capitol, where I had been standing, people around me thought the cops were trying to to get Antifa when they were doing the pepper bombs. Like, oh, yeah, they're getting it. Yeah, get them, get Antifa. They're, they're clearing it out for us. But where my friend at Mother Jones, Dan Friedman, where he had been, they had been like, you know, um, oh, Antifa stormed the Capitol. It's Antifa inside the Capitol. Uh, so it was kind of just like this disconnect, depending on where you were, what experience you had and what you heard. Um, but everybody was just so angry and not like a, a righteous, justifiable anger. You know, this was not, you know, this was not Freddie Gray, <laughs> uh, going into a van. Okay. And coming out with a messed up spine. This was like my favorite president isn't elected again and I'm really mad about it and and it was just delusional rage um which I had never been around anything like that before um just completely completely surrounded by so much hate and so much anger and people were so hopped up on it too you know um I had one guy my shirt said Biden, not my president. I bought it at J6. J6 had a merch tent, and I bought a T-shirt at the merch tent on J6. So Biden, not my president, and it was like the campaign logo. And this guy came up to me and started yelling at me. He's like, oh, no, never mind. You're cool. I misread your shirt. And he turned around, and his, like, said F Antifa. And it's like sometimes people don't see the top part. They just see the bottom. So the same thing happens to me. And then he was like, he was also crying. He's like, I just got, I just got tear gas. I'm not crying. <laughs> he's like, I've been tear gas. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, this is so great. This is so cool. He's like, I'm going to go get some lunch and come back. And it's like, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, it was, I don't know. It was, it was a very, very strange experience to live through. And it was on me 
protests or anything I have ever been to in my life, not just the storming the Capitol part, but the entire energy and vibe of the crowd. Like, you know, looking back and I think some of the, the January 6th hearings kind of showed this, but, you know, uh, one of the things they obviously did well, you know, like promoting this event is like reaching out to like far right influencers and like getting people hyped up about the event and like having build up events. I mean, you know, whatever they did, like worked, like they got their base out there. Yeah, I mean, I also think, like, I mean, COVID sucked. It wasn't fun. Um, and, you know, I know my perception is different, but, you know, my business that I owned uh, operated nationwide, and it went bankrupt because nationwide we were not having events. You know, Florida might be open, but I'll tell you what, nobody is having a convention or trade show in Florida in 2020, right? So even if you live somewhere, we're, we're, oh, everything's open, everything's fine. People around you are getting sick. People who care about COVID don't want to be around you personally because you're a jerk. Uh, you know, you, you have disagreements within relationships, within families. Um, people, you know, their lives change dramatically. And I think a lot of it, too, was people were just bored. They were bored. They had nothing to do but be online. And now they're like terminally online freaks and their normal friends are like, okay, let's not, okay, I don't want to hang out with you. You know, whenever we hang out, you spend uh, two hours talking about how Joe Biden is a satanic pedophile and how paper masks are going to kill us all. You know, I, you're a bummer. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to see you. Um, and so I think they were also looking to, all those protests that happened across the country, because people that came to these, like in DC, they went, if they had ones locally, they went to those too, you know. Um, I think they were just creating a new social system that was accessible during the pandemic, didn't rely on a business owner, you know, accommodating your refusal to follow COVID rules. Um, and I think it just, yeah, I think that that was something so unique to be able to capitalize on and the organizers did a good job of it. Do you think that the January 6th would have happened if the rebellion in 2020 hadn't kicked off after George Floyd was murdered? How much of, of that was a factor? Because I feel like that was definitely something that, that, you know, I totally think you're right. Everything you're saying, but I think, you know, that was definitely kind of a part of it too, of this fear by those folks that like, you know, we're quote losing the country, like all these young people, people of color, low wage workers are just like so off and they're just going to create communism, man. And we've got to like take the country back. You know, I'm curious your thoughts on that. I don't know. I don't, I'd, I'd have to, I've never probably even really thought about it, to be honest with you. I guess when I think about those protests in 2020, I mostly think about how like in 2014, I lost a giant contract because of my continued participation in BLM protests. And then in 2020, Sephora is putting Black Lives Matter <laughs> in their windows. And so, you know, maybe I, you know, it's not something I think I've 
was paying honestly enough attention to. I mean, I was like super depressed in summer 2020. I like, it was bad. I would always say if my seat, I lived in a basement with a legally short ceiling and I always said it was a good thing because it was a little higher. I would have hung myself. So I, you know, I, that was, that is something that just for me, I did not pay any attention to. So I don't know. You know, how prevalent is it? I mean, we've obviously talked on this show about, you know, like the influence of the uh, groipers and stuff like that. But, you know, within kind of like younger GOP circles, kind of like Turning Point USA, uh, you know, young folks that go to CPAC, how common is it to run into people that are just like, oh, yeah, you know, basically I'm a white nationalist. I'm a huge Nick Fuentes fan. Man, it was, it was pretty common among young people. I mean, I, so I will say, you know, CPAC 2023, I went to, um, with a press badge. Like I went as actual press this time. And of course, a lot of people know who I am now and they hate me, uh, younger people. Um, and so I had some guys who were dressed like Nazis in cosplay who, uh, one of them was friends with somebody I'd known undercover, which is why they were so mad at me, you know, circle me for five minutes, 10 minutes, call me a slut and like bully me. And then at their live stream afterwards, their little recap that they did, um, they were like, you know, there's not many young people and we went and we were well-dressed and we were, uh, you know, very good optics and all the, the boomers loved us. Um, and so they were like, you know, you guys got to go. You guys got to go to these things and be nice and be respectful. And, you know, this is how we can do it. So even now, it's still, you know, it's still happening. Um, not a lot of young people at CPAC 2021 either. Obviously, a lot of young people at Turning Point USA. Um, but, you know, both of these events had CPAC had Republicans for National Renewal event that happened. Um, and Republicans for National Renewal is a uh, populist, pro-Trump you know, far right organization. Um, and they, they had their Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar and Laura Loomer speaking across from CPAC. And then Nick Fuentes had AFPAC, of course, as he always does. And then at Turning Point USA, I mean, I was at a cocktail reception and the guy I went to see in Portland, Alexander Nelson, I met him there. And, you know, one of the first things he said to me was that he wanted a friendlier Nazi Germany, uh, for this country. Uh, which is pretty much as aggressive as you can get. <laughs> and, you know, no hesitation, no no concern that I would, you know, that he would be kicked out or anything. Um, and, of course, Turning Point USA, there are other events. You know, there's a bunch of groupers that are always kind of floating around. You see the Blue Hats and then American Populist Union, uh, who's now, after they had an event on Hitler's birthday, uh, had to change their name to American Virtue, had their inaugural event there and, you know, Baked Alaska was there and John Doyle was a speaker. Um, and so, yeah, it's really, really easy. I bought my ticket on Eventbrite for that. So it's really easy to find them. They're kind of everywhere. Who does this speak to? Like, like what conditions besides like, oh, you're a disgusting incel or you're just a horrific racist. Like, I, I'm just kind of curious, like the people that that really like activates. I think, you know, I mean, Andrew England has always said uh, he made the Daily Stormer uh, for 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. And I think there's a lot to that. You know, I think a lot of the appeal is for young, preteen, teenage, teenagers. And then at this point, it's been going on so long that those people are now, you know, kind of like adults. (laughs) 
Um, I, you know, and I hear various things. Of course, people reach out to me and I've heard, you know, oh, you talk about so-and-so and I knew him in high school and everybody was mean to him. Um, you know, he was bullied or whatever. So everybody's kind of got like some various story of their, their upbringing and I guess replacing one social network, like a normal one with these edgelord communities. I think for some of them, it's the desire to, I think some people just like to shock. I think some people like to cause chaos. Some people see a grifting opportunity within it. Um, and others are just, you know, like suckers who are able to be convinced that the reason that they are getting bullied at school is because of the Jews. Um, so I think it's kind of, kind of across the board. And I think, you know, for them, they really do. Like you were saying that fear of like, this is it. We're dying out. Um, because they know. Most Zoomers and most younger millennials are not heinous racists. (laughs) Um, And, you know, they're, they're concerned about kind of, I think, losing, losing their own generation. What is the, um, you know, like establishment GOP get out of this? Because, I mean, I think a lot of people, and I think you might have even talked about this, like, you know, the the trade-off is that, you know, they get, uh, you know, activated young folks who are very much online, which of course, you know, they love, you know, that's exactly what they want. And, you know, especially for a movement that's like getting older. Yeah. I mean, you know, uh, Ryan Sanchez might have literally dressed in Nazi cosplay for CPAC this year, but hey, it's a breath of fresh air because he's not 40 years old, right? You know, everybody, it's, it's younger, it, you know, and because they are, they are actively concerned about optics, you know, they are like generally working to make a good impression. Um, you know, and like, if you look at Gavin Wax, he's somebody who he's had a turning point USA ambassadorship. He's president of the New York Young Republicans Club. You know, he's on the board for the New York State Young Republicans. He is, you know, he's, he looks impressive. Um, and so I think, you know, it, it, feels good to look at that in your movement and see, well, we've got people like this and they are, they're going to do big things and make big changes. And you can look at these people and say, Oh, they're so good at social media. And my campaign needs that. I need somebody running my Twitter. I need somebody running my Instagram. I need somebody who knows how to do, you know, a meme. (laughs) Um, I need someone who could put black suns into my, (laughs) my campaign ads. Uh, And, I think that's where a lot of the appeal comes from. I mean, people are delighted. People would say stuff to me, you know, oh, it's so good to see, you know, a younger person here at these events, especially a woman. Uh, you know, everybody is so much older. They're, they're all, you know, we're old enough to be, you know, your grandmother. Um, and I think, yeah, I think they just want, they just are so happy to have them there because it helps them look like they're not dying out. You brought up the black sun in the video thing, which is, I assume is a reference to that uh, DeSantis video that some people made. And then I think some of his staff may have retweeted. Um, but yeah, and then there was the other one. There was a DeSantis video that had like clips. We've talked about this before, but had clips from like American Psycho, which is like, of course, like a nod to like mm-hmm. Incel online culture. Like, do you feel like there's a ceiling to that stuff? Like, you know, <laughs> like literally this person is like in the running to be president and their their campaign is like yeah american psycho references <laughs> like just it just seems like so out there that uh, i guess it has to be asked like you know 
what are they thinking? You know, but obviously they think that that, that like works to a certain degree. I mean, does it? I mean, and I think they can get away with it too. Like, <clears throat> so Nate Hawkman made that video with the black signs and then he posted it onto an unofficial meme Twitter and then retweeted it and then it got taken down. And then the DeSantis campaign said, Nate Hawkman did this and we're getting rid of him. And I was like, Nate Hawkman didn't do this on his own. Somebody help. I mean, if he's doing this, somebody above him knows. So we're throwing this guy under the bus, right? And really um, quick, but, Nate, Nate Hawkman is. Uh, he, he, he was the, he's, he, well, he was a pseudo intellectual, uh, on the right <laughs> that was given platform by various left wing, uh, podcasts and such as a good example of right wing intellectual. But, you know, he was really, um, I mean, he's like basically a griper, right? And the DeSantis campaign hired him. And so he was doing some of their social media stuff. And, um, you know, the New York Times came out with an article and they were like, oh, well, you know, Nate's Jewish. So he probably didn't know what the Black Suns meant. And he's just so steeped in online meme culture. He, you know, these kids, they don't know. They, you know, there's no way that they know what they're doing. It's just all encompassing. And, and they're so surrounded by Nazi imagery that they can't um, separate it. And then, of course, like a week later, the campaign was like, like, I mean, it got, it came out, it got leaked to the press that, you know, the higher ups of the campaign had known exactly what was going on and it had okayed the Black Suns. And they really had thrown Nate under the bus and he really did know what those things meant, which of course we all knew that he knew what it meant. And so I think, you know, where, where is the ceiling? Who knows? Because like you said, you have a presidential candidate and still the New York Times is running cover essentially <laughs> for him. So why would you stop if you think it's working at all? And you know that the mainstream media is not going to really push back on it and they're going to, you know, forgive it and excuse it. I mean, yeah, if it's working, why stop? Uh, and so I don't know, you know, I think, I think it goes on as much as the candidate themselves will allow it to go on. Well, I think that's a really interesting point you made. Let's talk a little bit more about that. So you're saying that the, you know, the mainstream media gives cover to that. Why is that? Because, you know, they're obviously invested in, you know, the party system continuing and, and wanting to cover it and having a seat at the table for that. And uh, I mean, yeah, there's so many examples of this. I mean, like Gosar's had people uh, recently that I think are still, you know, there that are obviously tied to, uh, you know, the Groyper movement, Nick Fuentes and stuff like that. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene seems like really mixed up to, into this. She's like sniping at Laura Loomer for some reason. Uh, there's rumors that, you know, Milo may have even like lived at her house. He was a, a I don't know, an unpaid or paid intern at some point uh, recently. Um, he's obviously been in the mix with Fuentes and Kanye West. Uh, I mean, she obviously seems as somebody that's like very much kind of like wrapped up in this world. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it the bar it seems like the bar is so high for the mainstream media to like really tie these elected officials to like you know white nationalists and they just get a pass yeah. so so much but it, i'm curious if you can kind of tease that out more for us yeah well first i want to say i'm already taylor green um so roland's russian rule if you remember the america first caucus so i when i first got kind of like recruited into helping out with this organization they asked me to meet with somebody from the hungarian embassy 
to get trained to recruit Matt Gaetz into our caucus, which was the America First Caucus, which came out, it got leaked to the press in April 2021, and it was extremely racist. It was like the, our Anglo-Saxon traditions, blah, 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 blah. Like, everybody condemned it. And Gosar and Green were in it. I mean, like, they knew. Like, I have audio proving this, right? I was at an event. Gosar and Green were there. And the executive director of Rahogas Rash Renewal was like, everybody... Look forward to the America First Caucus with us, Gosar and Green, and thank you so much to the staffers, Gosar and Green staffers, for helping us out with the America First Caucus. <laughs> I mean, you know, and then, of course, when it gets, you know, derided by the press, you're like, oh, no, we, we never knew. That was a staffer, did it, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, no, I know you knew. Uh, you know, we were all in the same room talking about it. Um, so, yeah, like, I would say I'm pretty confident saying, you know, may, whatever assumption you've got about Green is probably right. <laughs> um yeah, I think I think some of it is I think some of it is truly ignorance. I think some of it is just completely being out of touch with these communities and how they function. I mean, I, just being like, oh, Nate's Jewish. There's no way he knew what the black sins were. I mean, what, what are you talking about? You know, like I, I don't, it hurts my brain to try to think like that. So I think some of it is being out of touch. And I think some of it is not wanting to upset people and, and wanting to be able to have, I mean, access to DeSantis, which of course nobody has access to DeSantis. So who cares? Like he doesn't let press into his stuff anyway. Like you might as well just go all out. Um, just like how, you know, if they're going to call, you know, Pete Buttigieg and, and Biden socialist Marxist, you might as well run an actual socialist Marxist for president. Cause it's going to be the same no matter what. Right. So it's like, if, you're, if that's the baseline, like you just then embrace it. Um, but you know, they won't do it. Uh, and you know, I think some of it is like, if you're, if it's not completely your beat or it's not your personal interest, you know, sometimes I forget. I t- and they just stare at me and they're like, you have to be joking. Like people cannot function this way. And it's like, Oh yeah, no, it really, this is really how they are. Um, so I think, you know, some of it is not being so, completely in it um and and just have from a perspective that's different than that but I, I also think some of it's intentional and it's just you know i've gotten pushed back on even calling i look a pretty high standard for like you know i'm not going to call somebody in writing like a nazi unless they are literally you know praising Hitler, looking to emulate Nazi Germany, something like that. Um, and even even with that mm-hmm. qualification, I'll still get pushback sometimes. You know, it's like, oh, are you sure? You sure you can say neo-Nazi here? You sure? And it's like, I'm pretty sure I can say neo-Nazi here. Like, yeah, I saw that guy give a Hitler salute. Like, that's, that's neo-Nazi. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's just, it's very, very frustrating. It's very, and, you know, we are how many years into this now uh, with, with, the Trump movement and everything. And still, you know, I think you know, after Unite the Right, you would have thought people would wake up a little bit more in how they cover these things. Mm-hmm. And they haven't. And I think we're actually regressing. And all the lessons that we learned in 2015 and 16, I think we are unlearning them. And there were not many lessons learned to begin with. Yeah. And people keep getting murdered in mass. I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, we had somebody shot over a pride flag and then, uh, you know, this neo-Nazi, you know, emulating other neo-nazis like went on a shooting killing yeah. spree you know openly neo-nazi groups rallying in florida seemingly because you know it's a welcoming state for that type, type of stuff 
it's definitely continued, if not, you know, gotten worse. Um, and they've, they seem to have, uh, you know, definitely adapted their tactics too, to kind of like avoid, uh, you know, facing opposition. You know, they've learned how to do, uh, stuff that's going to make it easier for them, you know, to rally without people countering them. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, it doesn't matter if you put a swastika on your gun and kill a bunch of people, it's still not a Nazi, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Some people might say, like, look, these people are fringe. You know, the Republican Party is dying anyway. Like, yeah, it sucks. But, like, you know, we don't have to worry about them coming to power anytime soon. So, like, what's the big deal, essentially? Like, w w what do you see as the threat of these people being embedded in this political party so much? Yeah, I think people say stuff like that. It's, like, such a blue state and county thing to say. Um because if you live somewhere where the Republican Party is significant, um, it's a real threat to you. I mean, it <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe we don't have, you know, this at the national level. But if your school board is full of these people, if your city council is full of these people, um, if you're, you know, mayor or whatever, you know, that's a problem. And... I don't know, you know, like listening. And when I was at, so I was at the Young Republican National Convention last month, um, Carrie Lake was a speaker, a keynote speaker for their dinner. And a bunch of people, I mean, not a bunch of people, people planned to walk out. And I think a lot of uh, leaders were like, please be respectful, don't walk out. So I think fewer people walked out that were going to. Um, but, you know, I was listening to some of them that had walked out, and one was from Ohio, and she was like, you know, we have so many Ukrainian immigrants in our district and they all vote Republican. And I can't, I can't sit here and listen to this Russian propaganda. I can't do this. Um, and so, you know, like I don't really, like I have no, I have no love for the Republican party, but I gotta say if a place is going to overwhelmingly vote Republican, I would rather that they are voting for somebody who, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, is, doesn't believe Donald Trump's a time traveler <laughs> versus, you know, somebody like Carrie Lake who does believe Donald Trump is a time travel a traveler. Um, and so, you know, I think that local shift for people is significant. And look at, look at Florida. I mean, Florida is a great example. It's, it's one entire state. Um, and it, that could be another state next. And if it's your county, who cares about, you know, you, you've got problems already then. If your kid's curriculum has completely changed, if, if, you know, books are banned, you know, it's, it's a real issue. And so just because it doesn't, you know, for me, I live in DC. We're 97% blue. Who cares? <laughs> you know, nothing's going to change for me. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not a problem for a bunch of other people. What have you seen that's, that's like, that's worked. Cause I think for, for people that, you know, in, you know, a couple years ago that were going out to demonstrations against Richard Spencer, you know, the, the problem has been, you know, when these people change tactics and they're like, okay, we're not going to like do these like dumb rallies where five of us will stand around and a thousand <laughs> people will mobilize against us. Obviously that doesn't work, but if we're doing things like, you know, showing up at CPAC or, kind of moving in these circles where, you know, let's face it, like, you know, a bunch of like, you know, a multiracial group of 
regular people are just not going to be welcome at or show up to or even have access to. Um, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, like, what things can be done about the fascist creep in these political circles that, you know, that does work. Because it, it does seem that, like, if enough light gets, like, shown on, you know, put upon them, that definitely there will be blowback. They don't want to be exposed as being outright uh, white supremacists. Um, but it, it, it seems like the, you know, the effort to do that is, is very great, you know. Like, you know, what can be done about, like, the, the Gosars and the, the Stephen, you know, Steve Kings and Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world? Cause obviously these people have great, grand aspirations beyond where they are even now. Yeah, it's really hard. And honestly, I don't really know. I mean, from a left perspective, it's very hard to say. I mean, it's funny because, uh, like, obviously all of my sources are on the right. Gavin Wax is very mean. <laughs> Nobody likes him. Some people talk to me about him. And, um, you know, I kind of, I guess I've not really thought about it from a leftist perspective because I've always, they'll ask me, like, what what are we, like, what's going to happen? I'm like, dude, I'm going to report on it. And that's y'all's problem. Like, that's your party. That's your issue. You guys figure it out, you know? <laughs> if, if there's enough media coverage, if there's enough reporting showing something about someone that you feel is a disqualifier to represent who you are and your beliefs, then you guys need to mobilize and you guys need to remove them from your party because I can't do that. <laughs> and so it gets really hard because, you know, Richard Spencer, James Alsup, these, you know, blowhards who are out giving speeches uh, on the steps of the cat or the steps of the link of the war or whatever. You know, that's easy. That's easier for the left to, to make a presence, but it's much harder to do that. Uh, in the institutions. And I, you know, I really don't know what the leftist answer is other than, um, correct things when you see it when you see people making excuses for Nate Hoffman when you see people you know not accurately describing um some of the white nationalism I mean always make sure people understand because of course most people in this country are like not you know they're gonna turn on the news for maybe an hour a week most of it local news and they're just gonna go vote for the party they always vote for and they're gonna go about their lives and never think about politics um, and I think, you know, kind of continuing to draw a light to like some of the, the things that are said publicly by these people or, or things that get leaked, um, you know, private chats keep coming out <laughs> everywhere. I, I think that is, is valuable, but you know, when it comes to removing people from institutions, that is really, I think it's, I think it's on them. That's their people and they need to prove that their party is one that isn't open to Nazis and white supremacists. You know, as a, as a young woman doing this work, like, what was that like? Cause this is not a scene that's known for, uh, I mean, that's, you know, openly pro patriarchy. Oh man. So Shane Trail is apparently telling people, uh, that he rebuffed my advances and that is why, like, he's like, basically telling people that I wasn't like trying to record people. I wasn't trying to be undercover. I was just trying to like hook up with Shane. And when he rejected me, I was like, now I'm like seeking revenge, which is so extremely funny. Wow. Um, (laughs) You're like, here's how I'll get back at him. (laughs) I mean, what he should have done, like if he was smart, he would have been like, yeah, she's undercover. And then she tried to get with me. And I was like, ew, gross. And now she's mad at me because of that. But he like, He's not even smart enough to do that. So, 
um, you know, he would like message me like inappropriate. Like there was like a point where I had like surgery on my arm because I broke it. And he was like, let me know you're not all drugged off anymore so I can hit on you again. And I was like, what a shocking understanding of consent. (laughs) Unexpected. Um, And then, you know, I I was fortunate. I mean, I'm not fortunate, but uh, the other guy I talked to, Alex Nelson, he was more dedicated to uh, white nationalism than he was to like partying and women. (laughs) So that was nice. Because, uh, you know, there's a lot of ecstasy use in these groups. There's a lot of hooking up. I mean, I was at a Proud Boys event. Uh, it was like a Roger Stone Proud Boys thing in Tampa. And, like, people were hooking up in the alleyway. <laughs> like, grown adults, by the way. I don't mean, like, 20-year-olds. I mean, like, like in their 40s, 50s, <laughs> hooking up in the alleys. Um, so it is this, like, huge culture. And then, of course... Uh, something that I always think is funny is so I mean I grew up evangelical and my dad like he thinks his pastor raises people from the dead in the mega church that he goes to actually hosted one of the QAnon events um that Clay Clark put on I and you know I'm like kind of just like used to this world so I think it's like an immunization like coming in you know if I wanted to be a white nationalist if I wanted to be a QAnon person like that ship would have sailed like a long time ago and um people ask you know did you ever get tempted by like the stuff that they had to say you know did it ever sound good and i'm like well i might be white but i'm like a woman <laughs> you know i remember um there that american populist union event i went to every time they would say something negative about women this one girl she was so beautiful she had this long beautiful hair and she was just so pretty she's probably maybe 19 years old and she would like cheer every time. And then they were finally like, at first they were like, yeah, this is great. And then they were like, shut up woman. And I'm just like, I could never do this. Like I, I would snap, you know, I would go to jail. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was, I think my personality is such that I kind of was not going to ever spend a lot of time with the most dedicated open misogynist. Um, but it was still bad. I mean, it's just like, you know, you know, you know, the people that you're talking to will never really take you seriously. And that is just not like that alone outside of the ideas, but that concept is so alienating in a movement anyway. Like, why would I ever want to be a part of that? You're listening to It's Going Down, part of the Channel Zero Anarchist Podcast Network. I want to thank you for listening. However, while this episode was being recorded, unfortunately, our feline interns at the office knocked over some water, damaging our laptop and recording equipment, meaning we had to go out and buy some new stuff. So we're coming to you today asking if you can help support us. We know it's been a while since we asked for help and reached out to our audience to request donations. We know times are tough and there's a lot of projects and people needing solidarity, so we hate to ask. But if you can financially contribute to help support this project, please go to itsgoingdown.org and hit the support IGD button. We're hoping to raise around five to $600 to help cover the cost of buying some new equipment. If you can't support us, Please do. 
Go to itsgoingdown.org and hit the support IGD button. Follow the links and give us a one-time or monthly donation. We really appreciate it. It helps us out. It helps us continue. We've got some great shows coming up. Let's get back to it. One, what do you think happens next, per se, whatever that means? I mean, I I guess in terms of the election cycle, but also just with uh, the circles in general. Uh, It's interesting. I mean, it it seems like, uh, you know, we've obviously been talking to a lot of people that are doing things like defending pride events and and things like that that trajectory at least you know from like groups like the proud boys and stuff seems to be kind of waning that at least that energy from from like the fascist kind of street groups has sort of kind of died down um as the election gets closer and i'd be curious to hear your thoughts on like kind of what happens next but also what happens next for you in in this work are you going to do like a book uh yeah, I think it's so interesting with the election because, um, you know, when Trump came down that escalator in 2015, I was like, that's our next president. Like, I was traveling the country, like, talking about pickup trucks at farm shows in 2015. Well, it's funny, like, 13 and 14, and I was like, he sounds like so many people that I met. He sounds like my my drunkle, my drunk uncle, um, who was banned from the NRA shooting range for insisting that uh, he could shoot at a Hillary-shaped target, which you can't do at the NRA range. NRA range. Um, and I was so confident and I, you know, I went to a couple of Trump rallies and it was just like, every time I went to a Trump rally, um, like I felt like I was dying, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and now I, I have no idea what's going to happen. I mean, so many things have happened because you got the court cases. I mean, Trump, he looks like trash. He could, he could drop dead. Like, I mean, he looks like he could have a heart attack any moment now. Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, and I think, you know, each each variable changes the trajectory, you know, so much. If Trump loses by a little bit, is there a renewed movement? If he if he dies, <laughs> does I mean, is there a renewed movement? Does the torch pass to Don Jr., which <laughs> you know, Don Jr. is not a very serious person, so I don't know. Uh yes, yeah, so I'm not sure what'll happen next. I think and I don't think that they know either. You know, I think it's a lot of of see and wait now what will happen um with this unfair prosecution you know if they can come for a president they can come for any of us uh, and I, I don't know how much they're really going to be able to mobilize behind that and of course they continue to think that their their pet issues are more um beloved than they are i mean my mom was a two-time obama voter who voted for trump twice and I don't know. I mean, she might vote for Trump again if he's the candidate, but she would not vote for him in a primary. She's like, you know, I'm tired of this. It's always something, always drama, 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 because not everybody's, you know, thriving on that. So I don't know. I it's I'm very interested to see um, where we'll be in like 2025. (laughs) Um, As far as for me, I'm writing a memoir, um, but, you know, I'm also like working on a profile of Gavin and New York Young Republican Club, as well as one of Republicans for National Renewal. Um, and so hopefully, you know, those will be out in the future. Wow. I guess the only other question I have to ask is, is what is the story with Trump being a time traveler? You said, what is, I haven't heard this one. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So some QAnon people <laughs> believe that Trump is a time traveler. And, um, 
I was at some Clay Clark event and we were, we had a, um, a prayer circle in a parking lot next to a dumpster where we all held hands and prayed for the Lord to bless Lynn Wood and Donald Trump. And then the organizer FaceTimed Lynn Wood and like some lady in the crowd was like, is Trump a time traveler? Can you tell us if Trump's a time traveler? Oh and God. it got so uncomfortable because like two thirds of the people are like, you're embarrassing. And one third is like, he's definitely a time traveler. <laughs> I love that there are, like, various levels of, you know, like, hey, we, we all know that, that Biden drinks children's blood to get their adrenochrome, but time travelers where I draw the line. It's too far. It's a step too far. You want to uh, plug your socials real quick and where people can follow your work? Yes. So I am no turtle soup 17 on every platform. I've got a sub stack. Uh, Twitter, Mastodon, Blue Sky, Threads, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, Post. I'm parked everywhere. So whatever you use, you can find me. This has been the It's Going Down podcast. Check itsgoingdown.org for daily updates, columns, action reports, and news. Go to itsgoingdown.org slash shop to support us and follow us on all social media platforms. IGD, your daily resource for insurgent proletarian life.